Curses to right of them, curses to left of them, curses in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with charms and spells, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, strode the three wizards. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club that's not to reason why. The Romping Willow, said Harry. Go! Somehow he walled it all up in his mind crammed it into a small space into which he could not look now. Thoughts of Fred and Hagrid, and his terror for all the people he loved, scattered in and outside the castle, must all wait. Because they had to run, had to reach the snake and Voldemort, because that was, as Hermione said, the only way to end it. He sprinted, half believing he could outdistance death itself. We are back! We are reading the tail end of the tail end of the Harry Potter series, a.k.a. we're in the final throes of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. This week the chapter is called The Elder Wand. There will be spoilers. There will also be some sort of half spoilers because in preparing for this episode we realize that we um, forget the outcome of a few kind of key moments here. So... We'll spoil what happens and then you all will scream into your phones as you listen to us not remember actually like who lives and who dies in this book. AKA like is Lavender Brown dead? I don't know. I forget. Does Voldemort win? Uh, that I know the answer to. <laughs> but there are a lot of gaps in my memory. Still we will spoil pieces here and there. We will curse and we will touch on some adult themes. This week's adult themes are No Man Left Behind, Beasties, Besties, The Runt of the Litter, and Going Behind Enemy Lines. So, Alex, can you tell us in a minute or less <laughs> what happened this week? Do you really want me to do it in one minute? God, no. But maybe in under 30 minutes. Ooh. What, does that feel like a worthwhile challenge? You know, let's uh, let's see how it goes. So, in this week's chapter, the castle is blown apart, uh, or part of the castle, not the whole castle. Uh, just like we are not off to a good start. <laughs> just a wall of the castle. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of money for wizarding contractors after this whole thing blows over. Uh, but luckily, so. Speaking of infrastructure, (laughs) (laughs) if we get this out in a timely manner, that will work. Kingsley Shacklebolt's Build Back Better plan. Oh, God. Um, We've been trying not to do timely jokes because, like, who needs uh, a reminder being in the news cycle ever? But uh, there you have it. So where we last left our heroes, Fred is on the ground. Percy's, like, clutching his body. But luckily, Fred gets up. He's like, I'm fine. It's just a flesh wound. Uh, I definitely didn't die in the last chapter. No. No, Fred is still dead. Percy's clutching his body and trying to protect him from, like, other bad things happening to it. Uh, he's still in denial. Harry, like, swings into leadership mode and, like, kind of gets Percy to come to. They drag Fred's body to not safety, because he dead, but they stash him in, like... On, like, a plinth. Yeah, on a plinth where no, like, creature can get to him. This is... Paragraph two, Alex. Speaking of creatures, oh, also, like, there's curses flying everywhere. Harry's like, get down, get down, uh, doing, like, squad leader shit. 
Uh, speaking of creatures, all of a sudden spiders are pouring into the building like giant, not just small spiders, not small spiders, car-sized spiders. Aragog spiders. Aragog. Aragog's um, cousins. Spawn. No, they're his spawn. No, I know. I just thought cousins was a funnier <laughs> word. <laughs> There's probably oh, cousins, cousins too. Uh, yeah, so they see a spider. Everyone's like, oh, shit, what the fuck? Uh, Harry screams, it brought friends. Um, the spiders were, quote, liberated from the forbidden forest, from the forbidden forest into which the Death Eaters must have penetrated. Is the forbidden forest fenced? So Death Eaters got to the forbidden forest. What was stopping the spiders from just, like, pouring out of the forbidden forest anyway? Probably there's, like, charms and stuff. Oh, maybe. The okay, good point. Good point. I thought. Do you remember how this is a school of magic? <laughs> remember how there's magic here? How some some of it is magic? Actually, there's a good moment where Hermione is like, "Are you a wizard?" Or, <laughs> um, okay. I thought just the spiders were like sensing the Death Eaters like got into the forest. The spiders like it just kind of got the spiders' attention, and they were like, "You know, what would be a fun thing to do today." Storm the castle. Storm the castle, because we're. what else are we doing today? We're giant spiders. Uh, They're busy. Are the spiders on the side of the Death Eaters, or the spiders just love spookiness and chaos? I think they're on the side of chaos. Yeah, I think they're more... The spiders are like a wild card in this. They're like, we might win the Battle of Hogwarts. Uh, They win the battle of thinking Hagrid is probably dead. And then it's Spider World. Oh, Um, God. Okay. (laughs) Uh, so did not we see on page two of the did chapter. not see the giant spiders coming, but there's gonna be a lot of callbacks. Uh, actually, I didn't see the giant spiders coming when we were listening to this chapter. Like Jim Dale was like, and then there was a spider, and I was like, oh, holy shit, those guys, they're back. Uh, totally missed opportunity to bring back the Ford Anglia. Isn't like, it in here? I don't think so. No, it comes back. Are you sure? That might just be in my head. No, I have a very specific head canon about the Ford Anglia that we'll get to later, but that you have told me enough times that, that I might just believe it. You think that you it. now think no, the Ford right. Anglia is now in this book? I don't that, think. No, now that you say that, I know exactly what I don't you think... told me would be funny, <laughs> and I've just like rewritten it into my head. And this is really boring because we're not saying what we think happens. Please tell us. What happens after the spiders, Alex? Get past the spiders. But where were the spiders? Ziggy Stardust? Never mind. Um, the spiders are here. That's where they were. Um, are you broken? <laughs> <laughs> Percy sees a guy he used to hate from work, Rookwood, shouts, Rookwood, and like chases after Did him. Did Rookwood kill Fred or Percy's just pissed? Percy's just fucking furious. Oh. He's like getting out all his like office aggression all his like toxic work yeah he's just letting it all he's letting it all go so uh percy goes back into the battle ron is having a meltdown for you know pretty understandable reasons he says he wants to kill death eaters hermione says no we're the only ones who can stop this we have to go kill the snake aka the other horcrux harry wants to go fight too uh but for once he keeps his cool because hermione says we have to get to the snake and then we win. Um, Turns out it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Hermione tells Harry to look inside L- Lovo's mind and find him. It's surprisingly easy for Harry right now because his scar has been like hurting all day. Lovo's like very 
top of mind. He's like porous. Right. Uh, Lovo is sitting in a room that looks familiar to Harry. There's peeling paper on the walls, and it's lit by a single oil lamp. Very atmospheric. Like, get a light bulb, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's still the 90s. It's just one guy's That's smart... the 2000s, huh? No, it's 1998. This uh. is all happening on May 2nd, 1998. What else happened on May 2nd, 1998? <sighs> I, don't, I don't remember. We'd have to Wikipedia it. Maybe let's move on. Yeah, uh, we can't go down. I was almost 10. So Lovo is pensively rolling the Elder Wand between his fingers. He's feeling really confident that Harry won't find the Room of Requirement or the Diadem, because that's the room only smart people can find. (laughs) Uh, He summons Lucius Malfoy, who's looking the worst for wear after his punishment from... He got punished because of the shit that went down at Malfoy Manor. He's got a black eye... I think it's more than a black eye. His thought, eye is like swollen shut. I thought he just got cruciated and that doesn't cause any physical damage. Was yeah. Voldemort like Voldemort punching him in the face? Voldemort also beat the shit out of him, I guess. <sighs> Maybe. No, it's confusing because you have all these moments where people have like physical manifestations of torture and it's like your main torture thing is like pretty efficient and doesn't uh, leave marks. So I'm not really sure why people are also covered in, like, cuts and bruises. Maybe Malfoy did some other... Maybe Voldemort did some other, like, messed up... Some, like, off-book torture? Yeah. Okay. Lucius says, uh, my son is out there. Like, what's happened to him? Lovo says, if Draco's dead, it's not my fault. He should have joined me with all the other evil children. What the fuck? Every Slytherin joins... We don't have to stay here, but I think that's idiotic. We discussed this at length. So dumb. Um... Malfoy suggests that Voldemort stop the battle so he can find Harry Potter himself. Uh, Lovo says, Potter will come to me. Go get Snape. I need his uh, help with something. (laughs) And then Voldemort says very ominously, it's the only way, Nagini. And Nagini is encased in this kind of glassy snake protection orb. Uh... It's not really a floating terrarium. But it's kind of a floating terrarium. But it's terrarium. kind of a floating terrarium. So Harry... It reminds me of what I'm picturing is those like air plant, those like glass bulb air plants that got like really trendy because like I guess millennials kill real plants. You know what I mean? No. They're like, no, there's like a, they're, it's like almost like a, like a light bulb. But or like more like a Christmas ornament. They're like round oh, glass okay, orbs yeah. mm-hmm. that there's like quote unquote plants in, but they like don't really like need like water or anything, and they're just like kind of dry and ugly. I don't like air plants personally. Maybe that's somebody else's aesthetic, and I'm being really offensive. Anyway, this is neither here nor there. Please continue with what's happening in here. I kind of picture those giant soap bubbles at Central Park. Oh, that's better. That's much nicer. So, uh, Nagini, very well taken care of. Harry comes back to himself and tells Ron and Hermione, and this is a direct quote, Voldemort's in the ba-ba-ba motherfucking shrieking shack. Hermione is offended because she's like, he's not even fighting? What the hell? Harry says he doesn't think he needs to because I'm going to come to him. 
Um, which Ron is, and Hermione are both like, absolutely, 100%, that's what you're going to do. No, they offer to go for him to go no, kill the snake. I know, but, but like, you know, everybody in their brain is like, yeah, fucking Harry's just going to go over there and just like do his Harry thing. Voldemort is spot on. Well, they're debating about what to do, but they're interrupted by some masked Death Eaters. Um, so battle, battle, battle. Uh, at one point, Hermione turns the stairs they're all on into a chute, and like all down they go. I think they kill Death Eaters. The trio, in this and yeah, they go past a tapestry, which Hermione then turns to stone, and two Death Eaters like crunch against it. So I think they're dead. She gets pretty close to pulling off like a Wily E. Coyote. Like it actually, prank. really is like a very like Acme Industries <laughs> moment. <laughs> At one point, a herd of galloping desks rush past them, and they see McGonagall leading them, and they hear her shout, Charge! This scene reminds me of um, storming the castle in Beauty and the Beast. You know? Yeah, yeah. scene Mm -hmm. where, like, all the the furniture, furniture. It just, I had this, like, powerful moment of... When the, like, the wardrobe, like, sings and then all the chairs and tables, like, anyway, that's what I picture. Yeah, totally. It resonates on, like, a Beauty and the Beast wave for me. They enter another corridor filled with duelists. They They see Dean. Is it Dean Smith? No, that's the coach, former coach of North Carolina basketball. How What's the Dean's... fuck do you know that? Dean Thompson? Dean, Tom- Dean Thomas. <laughs> oh. Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, Dean right? Dean Thomas, wow. We are the worst Harry Potter podcasters. I mean, we read one chapter every <laughs> six months, basically. We're the worst Harry Potter podcasters in existence. Um, they also Seamus see Seamus Finnegan, though. They also see Parvati and... She's dueling with another Death Eater guy, too. Um, and Peeves the Poltergeist is flying overhead, dropping Snargleuf pods on all the Death Eaters. So awesome. That rules. Draco is also in the mix. Uh, Death Eater's about to curse him. And he says, no, I'm Draco. I'm on your side. Uh. But the Death Eater, like, <laughs> doesn't hear him. Harry stuns a Death Eater that's about to take out Draco. And an invisible Ron punches him as they're running past. <laughs> Such a Hilarious. Good scene. And says, that's the second time we've saved your life, you two-faced bastard. There's like three curses and like not curses like Harry Potter curses, but there's like three curse words in this book. And every single time it's fucking hilarious when he's <laughs> like, you two-faced bastard. I'm like, ah, JK Rowling wrote a bad. She wrote a swear. Neville is also seen carrying venomous tentacula and, like, throwing them onto the Death Eaters. So that's also awesome. Hermione blasts what looks like a four-legged beast taking a bite out of the feebly stirring body of Lavender Brown. No, so It's sad. Fenrir Greyback. He gets up. He staggers to his feet. But he's taken out by a crystal ball thrown by Sybil Trelawney, who starts passing them out to throw at Death Eaters. Again, fucking awesome. Does this kill Greyback? Um, I don't remember who dies here. <laughs> Truly. Who lives, who dies. We only know who tells the story. There's, I just wrote, more spiders in the entrance hall, in all caps. <laughs> so that's a thing that happens. Uh, the Death Eaters and the Hogwarts students all scatter away from the spiders because I think the spiders are on their own side. The spiders are a third faction that have entered the battle in a last minute bid. For spider domination. They want to make it spider warts, 
school of spiderness and spider spidercraft and spidery. Um, there were so many better jokes there. There are, and yeah. The fact that that's where you went truly just pleases me. <laughs> that was just the lowest common denominator possible hagrid rushes into spider the- makes spider face of <laughs> jokes hagrid rushes into the fray with his pink umbrella shouting don't hurt him don't hurt him uh so he's trying to the end to protect uh his spider his friends beasties, yeah his beastie boys unfortunately his beastie boys <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't go great for Hagrid him. is swallowed up by the spider crowd. Um, there's a giant. A giant appears and starts, like, wrecking shit. Uh, he's 20 feet high. Grop shows up and has, like, a King Kong battle with this other giant who's much bigger. Grop's, like, half-sized for a giant because he's a hybrid. Um, no, he's a giant. He's just little. Grop is full giant. Oh, he's Hagrid's full giant? Oh, giant. you're right. He's a Grop runt. is just a BB. Never mind. Wow. He's just a small boy. He's a small boy. Small but mighty. Wow. I should have known. That's an easy one. I should have known that. Uh, The trio runs out onto the grounds where they see a mass of Dementors moving toward the castle. Harry's like, well, I guess this is it. We're fucked. The jig is up. I can't get happy right now because... Everyone I love is like seconds from dying. Yeah, how could I? But then Luna, Ernie, and Seamus appear. Luna says, think of a happy thought. We are all here. They all summon Patronuses and drive the Dementors away. They, there's more giants coming out of the forest. Uh, the forest is just... Leaking all its Yeah, all the stuff. monsters. Uh, the trio keep running. Harry takes a moment. No, he doesn't really take a moment. Harry's like running faster. Harry's running faster than he thinks he ever has in his life. It's like he's trying to outrun death itself, and he's fearing for everyone he knows who's in the battle. Eventually, they get to the Whomping Willow, which hides the secret entrance, you might recall, to the Shrieking Shack. Ron is like, oh, if only we had Crookshanks. Hermione says, are you a wizard or what? Which is a throwback to when they were in the hands of the Devil Snare in Sorcerer's Stone, when Hermione's like, if only we had some fire to get rid of this. And Ron says, are you a witch or what? Mm, except Ron can't fucking conjure fire. But he <laughs> does use Wingardium Yes, yeah, so Ron digs back into his memory and uses the first spell, like, basically anyone learns, uh, uses Wingardium Leviosa to float a twig to the knot on the willow that, like, turns its whomping feature off uh so ron did learn one fucking thing at hogwarts at least uh they go back through the tunnel to the shack it's a tighter fit this time because they're growing yeah that's kind of poignant but also like a little bit on the nose she's like oh they're taller and it's like i just don't think that's what we need to linger on they should have like had the they they could have like recorded their heights on a wall in the shrieking shack so maudlin uh they get near to the secret entrance which is like hidden by crates i think and they hear voldemort talking to snape is this the first time hermione and ron have like really been close to voldemort uh is it usually just like harry yeah it's it's almost always yeah like voldemort is seen for like a split second in the ministry of magic at the end of book five. Yeah. But like, I don't think they've ever been... In real proximity. Like, yeah. Just it's feet also from the first Voldemort. time we've ever actually seen Snape and Voldemort converse directly. 
Well, no, they were at the the t- they were they were having their like board meeting at the beginning of this book. Oh yeah, but that's I mean not just let's right, not, like, just the two. They're of having them. a one on one. They're in their check in. Snape is like on my agenda. Please let me go get Harry Potter. <laughs> and Voldemort's like, I have some feedback for you. The Elder Wand is fucking broken. <laughs> so I can't believe I just made a one on one joke. It's gonna, it's gonna end badly. Uh, Voldemort's not committing to coaching his oh, employees, uh, so they listen in. Snape says, "My lord, the resistance is crumbling." Lovo's a total dick to Snape here. He's like, "Yeah, uh, without you, like, guess you're not needed as much as we thought." Just like unnecessarily dickish to Snape. That's his whole vibe. I know. He's the supervillain. Snape begs Lovo to let him go find Harry Potter so they can bring him so he's not accidentally killed. Lovo says, okay, but before we get into that, I have a problem, Severus. The wand isn't working for me. Snape's like, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? Oh, my God. <laughs> We're out here making, like, office space jokes. <laughs> what is this podcast? Um... <laughs> Snape's like I don't understand you've done extraordinary magic with that wand Voldemort's like I'm extraordinary this wand is a dud but this wand fucking sucks he's like basically he's like it's not it's not doing the super wand stuff that I wanted to he says I got a new wand because mine and Lucius's wand both backfired when I went after Harry Potter um, this is not behaving like the Wand of Destiny or the Death Stick or whatever. Death Stick is a very stupid nickname. <laughs> I hate Death Stick. So Lovo's having some performance issues. Uh, oh, God. With his wand, uh, which he just keeps fingering, like, gently. Uh, his voice is calm, but Harry's scar is, like, starting to hurt so bad he has to bite down on his hand to stop from screaming. And he draws blood. Uh, eventually he's sucked into Lovo's mind, so it's like he's Voldemort looking at Snape. Uh, Snape is, Snape is starting to look really freaked out. He asks again, like, can I just go get Harry? Does Snape think he was gonna survive this? I don't know. That's an interesting question. Anyway, go on. We can revisit that. Uh, Lovo says, you're an idiot. Only I understand Harry Potter. I know his weakness. I know he's gonna come find me because he doesn't want to see his friends, like, struck down all around him because of him. Snape says he might be accidentally killed. Lova says, don't worry, I gave pretty clear orders to just capture Harry Potter and bring him to me. Uh, I'm only concerned about what's going to happen after I see Harry Potter. I need my wand to work. And Snape is like, have you heard of this thing called hymns? <laughs> it's like actually very discreet, and I think it might solve your problems. <laughs> anyway. Would also help his hair. Yeah, he, could, he also has eat balls. He's got hair loss yeah. too. So, <laughs> so many services that hymns could provide to Lord Voldemort. He's <laughs> Lovo says, "I've been thinking it over." Elder wand dysfunction. <laughs> Lovo says, "I've been thinking it over." I have a fan theory. <laughs> <laughs> he basically does. Yeah, yeah. Lovo has a Harry Potter fan theory right here. He says, I don't think it works because I took the wand off Dumbledore, but you're the one, but you're the one who killed him. The the Elder Wand can't serve me properly because I'm not its true master. So while you live, the Elder Wand can never truly be mine. Voldemort makes a flick of his wand and the snake air cage starts moving towards Snape and it envelops him. 
and Voldemort says, kill, in parcel tongue. Which Ron can now do also, really well. <laughs> Ron's like, hey, I understood that. <laughs> Cha-ching! Streak continued. Oh my god. Ron uh, and this fucking owl in a tracksuit. Nagini sinks her fangs into Snape's neck and turns him into a shack burger. Like what? Shake Shack. Oh. The Shrieking Shake Shack. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. Thank you for that. Lovo says, I regret it. But his eyes show no remorse. Just like. <laughs> Lovo's like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, no offense, but. <laughs> oh, God. I have to yeah. kill you right now. <laughs> and he leaves to take charge of the battle. So once Lobo's out of the room, Harry goes to Snape. He's not sure why. Snape grabs him and says, take it, take it. And silvery blue stuff starts leaking out of his mouth and his ears and his eyes. And Harry knows what it is, but he doesn't know what to do with it. Hermione, thank goodness, has the presence of mind to summon a glass vial. And they bottle up all the, like, memory foam. (laughs) Memory foam is very funny. Snape is looking like there's no blood left in him. His grip on Harry slackens, but he says, Look at me. Harry's green eyes find Snape's black eyes, and after a second, something in the depths of them seems to vanish, and his hand thuds to the floor. And so ends the life of Severus Snape. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Chapter. One chapter. So the first thing I just wanted to say about this chapter is that I like how madcap it is. They shot through the concealing tapestry at the bottom and spun onto the floor, hitting the opposite wall. Duel! cried Hermione, pointing her wand at the tapestry, and there were two loud, sickening crunches as the tapestry turned to stone and the Death Eaters pursuing them crumpled against it. Get back! shouted Ron, and he, Harry, and Hermione flattened themselves against a door as a herd of galloping desks thundered past, shepherded by a sprinting Professor McGonagall. She appeared not to notice them. Her hair had come down, and there was a gash on her cheek. As she turned the corner, they heard her scream, Charge! It's sort of chaos. She's kind of pulling out... The phrase pulling at every stop is literally referring to organs and how did you know like, that like an like, organ stop like if you pull out all the stops the noise that the oh, organ make is like i thought you were talking about human organs for a minute and no. i was like whoa that phrase is a lot darker than no, I no, no, any, no, no. Oh, like a musical like a musical organ. organ like at a church like a like a pipe organ wait so that's why it's called organ stop pizza yeah so i th- Maybe wait. Let That's me too much that. of a Phoenix, Arizona like reference. Actually, East Valley, Mesa, Arizona. Reference. Yeah, I had never even been there. Uh, Oregon Stop Pizza is a place you can go and see a man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a place you can go and see a giant old movie theater pipe organ be like play. Uh, I don't know show tunes and uh, eat yeah, like pizza. the Little Mermaid uh, and stuff. Yeah, you <laughs> right. <laughs> Arizonans will appreciate this. Yeah, oh, they definitely played The Little Mermaid. I can hear it in my head uh, right now. So I just thought it was like a place. I didn't even realize that was part of the name of Organ Stop Pizza. I thought it was a place that you stopped to listen to an organ and eat pizza. But organ stops are a thing. 
when you pull out all the stops on an organ, it means that you can use all the pipes. So basically, stops like block some of the pipes. So you're making you're only using like a certain section of them. So when you pull out all the stops on an organ, you're using the full instrument, which makes the biggest, richest, loudest possible sound. My jaw is open right now. I just want to like. Did you not know what that? I. Was that- that was the origin of that you know, expression? You know, I had never... Th- oh, man, there's so many things in language like that where we just say the words without really connecting with them. And no, I had never stopped to think about why we pull out all the stops or what those stops like might be. But apparently it has to do with organs. Which is a really long way of saying that feels like a really literally true... Well, no, that's not true. The, the sort of origins of that phrase, I feel like, make it particularly useful here because she is, all the pipes are blowing in this particular yep, chapter. Like every conceivable sound that the Harry Potter books make at any given moment, they are, it is making all of those sounds yep, at once. She's using all of Harry Potter yeah, here. And it's uh, just one cacophonous, like, joy squawk. Even as... Because the thing is, it's shaded. It's not just joy. Like, it's shaded with the entire kind of emotional register of Harry Potter as well. Because you have these really gleeful moments, like McGonagall with her hair falling out on the desks. You have, like, the depths of despair that the Dementors bring on. I mean, you have Harry feeling very close to sort of giving up hope. And you have these strange kind of humorous but upsetting scenes like Peeves and the Snargle Puffs. and Snargle of Pods. The Snargle of Pods. I'm a bad, again, terrible Harry Potter podcaster. <laughs> but I, what I love is that it makes one big, round, beautiful chord of a chapter. This chapter is overstuffed and off the rails and like completely unhinged and totally fucking masterful and it's not even really jarring like she's switching back and forth between these sort of like comic and sinister and tragic registers like page by page also this chapter isn't even very long right and it, you get so much harry potterness. it's weird to say something is economical within a however many page long <laughs> like a book doorstop this but is, it yeah, is economical it is weirdly economical and you, it's so visual, and so I just, yeah, reading this chapter, I was just like, this is when she really shines, is when she's has this whole kind of, I don't know, there's something, parts of it are almost cartoonish, but parts of it, you have to like close the book because you're crying a little bit. It's just, anyway, I'm like repeating myself, but chapters like this remind me that it's sort of not a fluke that we keep coming back to these books, even in the face of a really weird, upsetting new kind of like relationship with its author. They're so fun. This is so, such a fun chapter. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that that I think we'll probably cover up in the uh, the wrap up on this podcast if we ever reach that point Who uh, knows? at this base, but uh, you know. <laughs> I just, every time we kind of dip out of it and then dip back in, this, especially this final book, which I had really mixed feelings about the first time I read it. It's just, it's better than I remember, like, at every turn. Yeah, uh, Deathly Hallows is 
I think becoming one of my favorites of the I mean, seven we have been sequence. reading it for fully two yeah, years. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe just because like I've been two and a half years. Yeah, we've been also living literal Deathly Hallows for like the last two years, so maybe it's no coincidence that it's taken us this long to finish this fucking book. But uh, anyway. One very funny, just small observation is that they, for the first time, I'm so proud that they're finally here. They like stick to a plan. Harry and Ron don't manage to go completely off the rails and like forget what they're doing. <laughs> like Hermione finally wins out and is just like, boys, focus. Yeah, we have a checklist uh, and we're working our way through it. And uh, it, for once... It works and ultimately sort of doesn't matter, but still, I'm really proud of them for like keeping focused. They're finally getting down to the uh, the Horcrux of the matter, which is a joke you've made. Is before. a joke I've made before. Uh, <laughs> but I want to talk a little about once again Voldemort. The trio are now fully barreling toward the final confrontation with Lord Voldemort, who we're reminded once again doesn't really know what he's doing um Voldemort man you know he's scary uh apparently he'll punch you in the face repeatedly if you're Lucius Malfoy but he does not know shit yeah it's not that he doesn't know what he's doing precisely it's that he's he is so completely blinded by his own ego that he doesn't do pretty basic like checks like he doesn't sort of metaphorically like or literally sweep the perimeter yeah like he doesn't check if you can get into the shrieking there's no death eater secret service that like the advanced team didn't like scope this place out to see that oh yeah (laughs) actually maybe maybe the death eaters are like oh there's a hole there Uh, like let's put some like crates literally they did there's there's a (laughs) hole they don't check where the hole goes they put some they put like a milk crate like an empty (laughs) milk crate in front of this secret passageway from hogwarts into lord voldemort's lair it sort of takes you out of the terror a little bit because you're like this guy has is like a very low skilled supervillain in a lot of ways do you think it so you do think it defangs him as a villain a bit i mean i think there is a lot of telling of Voldemort's great and extraordinary and terrifying magical prowess. He tells us himself in this scene. But most of the encounters we have with him, he gets tripped up by, like, children doing slightly more research than he has done. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that line. Yeah, there is that line. He's like, I do great magic. This thing sucks. (laughs) And you're like... All I'm seeing is you getting like completely bamboozled by three teenagers. Yeah, again and again and again. You know, he also should know about this shrieking shack like secret entrance from fucking Wormtail, who's been up and down it yeah, like again and again and again, is, right? He doesn't listen no, to I know anyone. He doesn't listen. Like these I are mean, all his like hubristic, like fatal flaws. Well, also one of his fatal flaws, I mean, just jumping ahead a little bit, like don't fucking kill Snape. Do you know who you fucking need is Snape. Snape. Why does he need Snape? Snape knows everything about Hogwarts, he knows everything about Dumbledore, and he knows everything about Harry Potter. Yeah, but if he doesn't kill Snape Oh, well, I mean but Snape's like not on his side, so it's kind of yeah, but he doesn't know that. Right. He, seeing okay, Snape, seeing 
everyone as dispensable is a huge blind spot and a major like thinking error of Voldemort's. If Vol- if we had the information that Voldemort had and didn't know Snape was a double agent, first of all, it's crazy he doesn't know he's a double agent. He's clearly very close with Dumbledore, but whatever. He's like willing to be- like suspend his disbelief because he thinks he's all powerful. Snape is an extremely valuable ally and is more useful alive than dead. Just straight up. Yeah, but at this point, but Lovo thinks he needs to kill Snape for the wand, yeah, which but, he thinks is like the trump card for the whole But that gets to our game. But no, but that gets to our other fucking complaint here, which is like that he didn't read the three brothers super closely. Even this, you know, what ends up being like this weird technicality that everything hinges on. Voldemort's even wrong about that. You don't have to kill the owner of the Elder Wand. Hmm. I mean, I and guess the in, key is in the text. In the text, though, it's all murders. Yeah, but right? that, it doesn't say but that. It, it doesn't ha- say no, it explicitly. Doesn't, also, it doesn't say explicitly that it is all murders. It's whoever wins the wand possesses the wand. Right, but and Lovo Voldemort just thinks sees killing as winning. Yes, he all. Yeah, he he only sees death as he sees death as the ultimate. And only defeat that matters. He doesn't think that there's like other ways to triumph over. Which frankly people. gets him in trouble over and over and over and over again because these fucking children don't kill, but they keep winning. Right. Like and he keeps he keeps counting on the fact that, you know, Harry Potter and his ilk don't want to commit murder as like a weakness, but it's always a strength. And he thinks that Dumbledore has been safely dispensed with, and Dumbledore is kind of acting from beyond the grave. Yeah, that's like the his other plans thing. are still like. Yeah. Dumbledore's like led this life that kind of lives past his. I mean, the dumbest corporal thing, presence on Earth. The dumbest thing that Voldemort thinks is that Dumbledore didn't intend to get himself killed. Like he believes that he defeated Dumbledore, and it's patently obvious that Dumbledore let that happen. If you stop and think for a second. Right. So, I mean, Voldemort is completely blind or is completely blinkered to the fact that he might be being like fucking played, which he is. You know, the other thing about speaking of not really reading Three Brothers very closely, it's weird that nobody gives a flying fuck about the other hallow. Oh, the cloak? Like, which Harry is actively wearing in this scene. (laughs) Isn't it weird that Voldemort never looks for the hallow that actually defeats death at the end of that story? The other two brothers die. Yeah, you're right. The cloak works. But the third brother dies as well. Yeah, but he dies when he wants to, which I guess Voldemort doesn't see as winning. But that's like, if you read the the sort of parable, I guess it's not a parable. If you read the, the, the tale of the three brothers, the brother who waits it out under the cloak is the brother who lives the longest and most fulfilling life. Because, I mean, to me, the third brother recognizes that death cannot be defeated. No. He can only be negotiated with and ultimately embraced. Yeah, but it's weird that Voldemort... But Voldemort just completely ignores that aspect of the story. But it's weird because, like, the Elder Wand doesn't work in the story. The brother with the Elder Wand dies. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, maybe maybe we have to just understand, or I guess Voldemort isn't working from the story of the Three Hallows. He only knows about the Elder Wand. So in reality, the No, but other... this is a famous, this is in like a famous collection of like children's yeah, stories. Yeah, Babbity Rabbity. Yeah. 
Wait, is, so is Voldemort, does Voldemort just know about the Death Stick and nothing else? Think, or has he read this story? I think maybe he doesn't actually, because the other two Hallows both are, like, about to come into play. And it's like, it didn't occur to him to, like, seek either other Hallow. I think, I think he knows the story and he's just completely focused on the death stick stick and thinking like oh well yeah all these other chumps died i'll do it like better this time yeah but it's just the entire time it's hilarious and sort of surreal to me that the third and ultimately most valuable hallow is in almost every scene of like these books after this conversation, I'm, I'm liking Voldemort's flaws better as a villain now. They're, I'm being reminded of like yeah. the kind of the interest in this character, like the interest that's there in this character. But back to Voldemort's incompetence for just one more <laughs> minute. Tell me. So, so we tell Snape and Lucius, like, don't worry. I'm going to get, Harry's going to come to me. It'll be fine. I've given all my Death Eaters like really clear instructions. (laughs) All my incredibly omnicompetent Death Eaters. They're highly skilled organization of really, really, really good men and women who. Also like motherfucker, there's like giant spiders. There's giants who are just like throwing like rocks around like yeah, there's huge parts of the castles are falling in like just harry explosions. potter is in just as much danger of getting like squished at any moment as getting like stunned and captured by a death eater this is a terrible terrible plan but also like frankly voldemort would be better off if he just dropped this maniacal grudge against harry and like let him get stepped on by a giant because like he doesn't need to go he'll kill harry to like have it all work out like right i don't think so He's just like no. He just like wants to. He's really into like the poetics of like bookending his career. I with can't this. tell if he thinks that the prophecy means that he needs to personally kill Harry or just that Harry needs to die. He clearly thinks he has to personally kill Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, Although here, the one piece of credit I'll give him is that he is right about what I think is one of Harry's greatest strengths, and he sees as his weakness. He's completely right that Harry will come to him. Yeah. He has Harry completely like red. In that regard. And so, I mean, obviously everyone who knows Harry is extremely certain that Harry will eventually just wander over to where Voldemort is and be like, cool, chill, kill me. I'm very heroic. His simultaneous disdain for and yet creeping fear of Harry is kind of interesting here. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think he's only, it's interesting because he's afraid of Harry the symbol and disdainful of Harry the man. And I think it sort of should be the other way around because the prophecy ultimately is like virtually meaningless. But because of how Harry has grown up and what Harry has experienced at Voldemort's hands, Harry the actual person is the greatest danger Voldemort will face. Right. So it's weird because he's like Harry Potter, like the archetype in the prophecy is of great danger to me, but this kid is nothing. And in reality, the the danger is that Harry learns how to be like a remarkable human from the hardships that Voldemort puts him through. And like, then there's a fucking technicality and none of this ultimately matters because the Ford Anglia <laughs> drives up <laughs> in the headcanon that I have replaced as reality. Uh, Voldemort gets hit by a car at the end of this story. Uh, yeah, everybody dies. get ready. Spoiler alert. Um, I want to talk about the Malfoys a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. We don't have that many opportunities left to talk about the Malfoys, so let's get into it. 
My lord, said a voice, desperate and cracked. He turned. There was Lucius Malfoy, sitting in the darkest corner, ragged, and still bearing the marks of the punishment he had received after the boy's last escape. One of his eyes remained closed and puffy. My lord, please, my son. If your son is dead, Lucius, it is not my fault. He did not come and join me like the rest of the Slytherins. Perhaps he has decided to befriend Harry Potter. No, never, whispered Malfoy. You must hope not. Aren't, aren't you afraid, my lord, that Potter might die at another hand but yours? Asked Malfoy, his voice shaking. Wouldn't it be, forgive me, more prudent to call off this battle? Enter the castle and seek him your, yourself? So I think a combination of age and multiple years of grinding sadness have made me change how I feel about Draco Malfoy immensely, which is that he, uh, I don't know, he's a kid who loves his parents. And his parents love and him. And his parents love him. What's what's the most surprising to witness here with Lucius and elsewhere is I think these are all, you know, amoral and I think incorrect and pretty unpleasant people. But this is one of the examples of a loving family that we get in the Harry Potter stories. They are shitty to everyone else, but uh, Lucius and Narcissa love their kid. And it's sort of this dark mirror of Harry's life because Harry grows up to be a much better person than Draco. But uh, the thing that Harry wants the most in the entire universe, like Draco has and relies on every single day, which is just like living parents who really, really, really love him. Right. But the fact that Draco's parents love him and that Draco loves his parents, like it doesn't make them good people necessarily. It like it, But it is. But it's. It's a kind of grace. It's yeah. a redemption. Ultimately, it is something that Voldemort can't take from any of them. And that ends up really mattering. You know, Narcissa betrays Voldemort for information about the son that she loves from Harry Potter. It ends up being extraordinarily life or death, world historic, important. How much? I mean, at various points, also in Half-Blood Prince, like, Narcissa loving her kid is a potent force in these books. And, like, yeah, she's, like, a shitty person, but I don't know. There's redemption in loving and being loved. And I think that's redemption that the Malfoys get and a lot of the other Death Eaters don't. Yeah, I think it's their inability to love the rest of the world that's so damning, though. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree but, with that. But Voldemort's inability to see love in any manifestation or think that's important is i guess i don't know is that trite is that or is that it's, profound i think it's sort of both i mean the thing is voldemort doesn't love anyone except himself which that's not love that self-regard isn't self-love self-love mm. isn't that brittle and shattered and broken and 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 warping right because i think I would argue even Voldemort's self-love is like very contingent on his ability to do. Yeah, like, he doesn't love himself like regardless of his things. abilities. You know, he doesn't love the fact that he can. Di I mean, the fact that he doesn't love the fact that he can die means he doesn't actually love yeah. himself. Because no. if you love yourself, you love accept the, you accept your the fact that you are a mortal 
yeah. human being. So yeah, I guess no. Voldemort doesn't even really have self-love in no. an important way, in like very important ways. He has a very toxic kind of self-regard. I don't think that the Malfoys loving each other makes them good. I don't necessarily know that it even sort of redeems any of their actions, but I guess it's just another example of Voldemort discounting or ignoring the very real power of, I mean like, okay, I, whatever, I've rolled my eyes at Dumbledore's like the power of love, but like the power and importance of human connections is the thing that Voldemort consistently cannot understand and therefore always fucks him over. Yeah. And it makes the Malfoys interesting because Rowling like grants them this this humanity that we can all like really recognize whether we think they're like good people or not. And a lot of the bad guys uh in this book like They're don't, so caricatured. Like, don't yeah. really get that. So No. The fact the fact that the Malfoys are imbued with that makes them more Makes them more interesting. Why do you think Harry keeps saving Draco? He does it again. I forgot that he does it again in these chapters. I just think Harry doesn't think children should die at the hands of grown-ups, kind of regardless of whether they're dicks or not. (laughs) Which I think is a pretty decent thing to believe. I don't know. Harry is clearly connected to Draco in some way. Do you think he pities him? I don't know if... It's interesting. I'm trying to imagine whether Harry himself could articulate why he doesn't want to watch Draco Malfoy die. I don't actually think Harry thinks about Draco that much, and I think Draco's thinking about Harry Constantly. all the time. I mean, Drake. Harry thinks about Draco like when Draco does some shitbird thing that forces Harry to think about Draco, but... No, but Draco's obsessed with Harry. I... I mean, is it too, maybe it's too pat to be like, I also think Harry has seen the Malfoys together in action enough to know that Draco is somebody who has people who love him. And yeah. like, Harry has, you know, experienced enough loss that he's like, that's a fucked up thing to do to people. This is a family. I don't know if any of that is conscious, but Harry very clearly, like, if he can help it, doesn't want Draco to die. Yeah. He makes that clear over and over and over. And I do, I feel like there is some connection to the fact that he knows more about Draco than who Draco is at school. Like, he knows that Draco has a family. And, you know, parents who have gone to great lengths to not let Draco die. I might be reading too much into that. I just... Do you think J.K. Rowling thinks that? The author? Yes, because J.K. Rowling is obsessed with the relationship between children and parents. Right. And obsessed with the kinds of grief that are present both directions when parents lose children and when children lose parents. That is one of J.K. Rowling's central obsessions. So absolutely, when she wrote the Malfoys, she was thinking of them as one of the sort of families. In I mean, which is why the Malfoys are so important in Cursed Child. Clearly, She's very preoccupied with the Malfoys as a family because Cursed Child is all about family and they're one of the key families. Yeah. I absolutely think. And, you know, over and over, especially the Narcissa Draco relationship is like a plot point. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I think J.K. Rowling is thinking about Draco as a child with parents and the Malfoys as parents with a child. I really appreciate Lucius's character arc here where he starts the series as this very haughty, imperious devotee of the Dark Arts and Lord Voldemort, but definitely 
like someone that has like independence and he's not a free agent but you know he's like a power center and then he ends as this like degraded dignity wraith yeah um i don't know if i have i don't know if i have more to say about that uh but it's a i i mean it's, it's satisfying as a reader to observe and it tells us a lot about what it means to follow someone like lord voldemort who kind of demands and i think this is something that tracks in like real life that like jk rowling like understands like pretty intuitively here is that like to follow someone like that you have to like shed a lot of your own like dignity and the thing that lucius like ultimately won't like shed is his own like family i think a lot of people i think it's an open question like whether he does that or not like i think it's interesting that he chooses draco over lord voldemort and you sort of don't know he's gonna until he does like the other thing i think this says and i think that jk rowling knows or believes about the world is that people who pursue power as its own end you know are ultimately even if they don't start i mean i think personally i think lucius starts out a bad egg but even if you don't start out the baddest of eggs if you believe that power is the most important thing that you can amass you're gonna get yourself in situations where you're making really 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 morally compromised decisions because lucius mostly just wants to be ingratiated with whoever's in charge and early in the early books it's just whoever the fucking like tory ass minister of magic is (laughs) you know he doesn't start out like a sort of extremist political figure he just wants to be rich and powerful and you know wanting to be rich and powerful at the expense of believing in anything real i think like gets you in these scrapes i will say the fate of the malfoys though i was thinking earlier in the episode we were like why did all the slytherins like go over to voldemort that seems like unrealistic i was thinking though that the fate of the Malfoys kind of illustrate why they do that. Because, like, the Malfoys kind of... It makes sense to, like, Voldemort's probably going to win, throwing your lot with Voldemort. The other side's not going to really significantly punish you when they win. Like, the Malfoy... Like, even in the last war, like, Malfoy clearly had been a Death Eater. And was, like, allowed to re-enter society. Becomes this, like, St. Mungo's, like, philanthropist and never faces any, like... Like, the Slytherins are like, yeah, like, we should go with Lord Voldemort because if he wins, we'll be richly rewarded. And if he loses, we're going to face, like, no actual consequences. That's true. That's a very very Slytherin. It's a very Slytherin-like calculation. I do think one or two Slytherins would, like, throw the dice and be like, I'll be like... I'll be a fucking hero if, like, the other side, if the if the Harry Potter side wins, I'll be the Slytherin that, like, crossed over. Yeah. And I'll be, like, I'll get, like, I, I don't know, a fucking cabinet posting or something like that. But, whatever it is these people want. Yeah. Whatever counts for power in this. So, like, I don't know. The Malfoys, like, they survive, but they survive in this very, like, Slytherin way. It's interesting because another thing that has happened to me over the last few years is I have come to see Cursed Child as much more truly in keeping with the aims of the series than I used to. I used to like really see it as non-canonical and the more I engage with especially the latter books the more I'm like I think actually Cursed Child works pretty well. (laughs) I think it's uh you know there's some like 
there's some continuity stuff. There's that, some like that, annoying that, like, devices. Doesn't really work in it, but I think it's thematically, thematically quite it's, rich. It's, it's a rich text. Well, and it also thematically, I think like it latches right in to the end of the series. Actually, that which brings me to a question that we're eventually going to have to talk about, which is like, is the epilogue fucking parody? Like, is it funny on purpose? Because it's terrible. And then it, it like you get to Curse Child and she's like, never mind. <laughs> um, but we'll get there when we get there. So we have Snape begging Voldemort over and over, like, let me go find the boy. Let me go see Harry. I know I can find him and bring him to you. And I'm just trying to understand, like, what is Snape's goal here? Because on one level, clearly he's just trying to get out of this fucking room, which is, like, smart. But does he want to talk to Harry? And what, do you, what, is, like, what does Snape think is going to happen when he's like, no, Harry, it's chill? Like, I, Yeah, in a weird way, we're spared this incredibly, like, awkward conversation. Very, like, cringe, cringe, cringe. Like, Be Harry like, would kill Snape. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how he would get Harry into a room to, like, have, like, a calm conversation with him. Because How does he open that? He's like, okay, so Harry, your mom hot as hell <laughs> <laughs> it's the i mean uh, honestly having harry watch the memories is the only way the only device to convey this information from snape to harry i think snape the thing you learn even dumbledore could have been lying the thing you learn is you just go up the chains in life and like get into like more and more like room like rooms where decisions are made the more you realize that everybody is just fucking winging it at all times and i think snape is just yeah snape is just trying to get out of this room so that he can like then like tackle the next like problem so he's like gonna deal with like fucking harry he'll full body bind him or whatever so that he can like tell him about like what a fox's mom was uh etc etc yeah the um this is so dumb i can't believe i had never maybe not never I either forgot or did not notice that last scene with the eyes. It's so... <laughs> I know. It's so obvious. And it's almost... I mean, maybe we're being maybe we're being unfair to the character of Snape to, like, boil it down to this weird, like, this, like, sexual obsession with Lily. Well, I don't even which think Which we it's... will unpack next well, week. I wasn't actually ne- even... Well, whenever the, whenever the next, next episode week, comes out. Next week, my God, yeah. is that... <laughs> next week is the new one-minute summary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, this will unpack it. No, I wasn't even thinking about it sexually. I was just this moment where it's clear that he wants to basically imagine he's gazing into Lily's eyes as he dies. I guess it didn't register the last time I read this. And it's it's like sad and gross and kind of pathetic and kind of beautiful. And they have to make it they have to make the subtextual part text in the movie because in the movie, Alan Rickman's like, you have your you mother's have eyes. eyes. I know <sighs> it's true. And I had forgotten about that because I think I've actually only seen this movie, each of the seventh movies once. So I'd forgotten about that completely. But um, anyway, I just I read it and I was like, Oh, and then I felt like an idiot. <laughs> Do you think Snape's death here is anticlimactic? I kind of felt that the first time I read the book. I'm curious what you think. He's so important, but he just gets like bitten by a snake. Yeah, but that's actually a more dramatic and violent death than Avada Kedavra. Yeah. All right. Fair I enough. mean, anticlimactic in that it it's really sudden. He does get sort of dispatched. I mean, what I, I actually kind of like that he he doesn't 
get to like monologue to Harry. I think mm. that would be more phony. I, I think it's sort of useful that Harry only learns the truth about Snape after Snape's death. I just, I can't see a universe in which Snape survives to tell his own story in a way that is both satisfying and like sense-making. Yeah. So no, I actually think this is a really logical death for him. I also think, I mean, it's not anticlimactic because, I mean, Voldemort himself kills Snape. Like, Snape dies among the more noble deaths of a Death Eater. By the big bad. Yeah, the big bad kills him with his, his sort of most prized weapon in some ways. Like, Nagini is a more... I don't know, maybe not dignified, but it's it's certainly less abrupt and anticlimactic than just Avada Kedavering him. Yeah. I I like the the distrust you see that Voldemort kind of has for Snape, and I'm surprised in a way that there's not more of that because like this just as Dumbledore shouldn't trust Snape, like Voldemort shouldn't super trust Snape either. Like the guy is shown himself to be like manifestly like too clever by half and kind of untrustworthy, right? Yeah, but do you think Voldemort mistrusts Snape here or he just really thinks he has to do this? This one trick will get the Elder <laughs> Wand. <laughs> I don't this think one weird trick. this one weird trick will get the Elder Wand to work for you, you know? Yeah. No, I don't I don't see this as Voldemort killing Snape because he thinks Snape is duplicitous. I think he literally just believes he thinks, he thinks Snape knows that he'll die if he, like... Because he does think Snape knows that he has to kill him. Because he's like, you're a clever man. Yeah, but like, I, you figured this I out. I actually can't tell if he thinks Snape was hiding that from him all... Maybe he thinks that. I don't think he suspects... I genuinely don't think that he suspects that Snape is, like, working for Dumbledore all along. Right. But it no, I think he trusts his loyalty to the cause. I wouldn't be surprised if Voldemort suspected Sna- someone like Snape of wanting to, like overthrow Voldemort or thinking he was like more clever frankly Snape is the only obvious potential successor like if Voldemort got defeated like in this battle but the Death Eater cause was to continue I I actually do think Snape is probably the logical sort of prince to his to Voldemort's kind of dark lord. Right. Because Voldemort mostly surrounds himself with mediocrities or like, I guess. It is his only smart. Like, Bellatrix is kind of a groupie slash fanatic. Like, is kind of how she's portrayed a bit. Yeah, she's skilled, but she's not. She can't operate or think independently. Voldemort mostly surrounds himself. She's also just like stigmatized. Yeah. (laughs) Death stigmatized. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Voldemort mostly surround. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that someone like Snape rises as far as he does in Death Eater world. I mean, but he knows exactly the things he needs to bring to the table to make himself indispensable. Right. His access to and knowledge of Harry and Dumbledore is why Voldemort kind of overlooks some of Snape's potential shadinesses. Yeah. Because Snape is the only one that can get him that close to either of his two great foes. Yeah. But no, I think Voldemort probably has this sort of instinctual sense that there's more to Snape than his sort of 
unquestioning fealty. But I don't think he thinks he's a a double agent. Right. He's because like a quadruple agent. Once again, he kind of overlooks like people's attachment to other people. Yeah. Well, does I don't even think Voldemort knows about the Lily Potter stuff. No, I don't think so at all. Just because he wouldn't, A, wouldn't think it's important. It wouldn't occur to him that Snape had ever loved anyone. Also, he probably thinks Snape is like ugly and like could never get a girlfriend, essentially. <laughs> Woof. I mean, but that, you know, J.K. Rowling does posit sort of like conventionally unattractive people as really, really safe in the love game, which is gross. <laughs> Snape's attractive to somebody. I well, believe that. Snape's, I know, but I don't Snape's think, matches out there. Yeah, but like J.K. Rowling doesn't believe that, which is what's important. Okay, also, so within the, within the rules of the universe. But yeah. also you are thinking of Alan Rickman, my friend, who is, I mean, it's complicated to have kind of text Snape be this sort of fundamentally like unlovable slash like unfuckable guy and then have like this like dark prince sex symbol like play him (laughs) like it was great casting except that you're like obviously everyone wants to have like weird dark art sex with alan rickman everyone (laughs) i don't know maybe go down to the dungeon yeah but yeah, yeah like there's a reason there is so much Snape fan fiction, and maybe it's partly from the text, but I think a lot of it is Alan Rickman. I really do. Man. That fucking voice, like, it's just, it's it's something special. Um, let's talk about Hagrid, who is the polar opposite of our friend Snape. So we've got Hagrid, uh, like... Getting carried off by spiders. Carried off, yeah, into the Spider-Verse. Um, oh, God, again. Yeah. How do we get out? Yelled Ron over all the screaming. But before either Harry or Hermione could answer, they were bowled aside. Hagrid had come thundering down the stairs, brandishing his flowery pink umbrella. Don't hurt him! Don't hurt him! He yelled. Hagrid, no! Harry forgot everything else. He sprinted out from under the cloak, running bent double to avoid the curses illuminating the whole hall. Hagrid, come back! But he was not even halfway to Hagrid when he saw it happen. Hagrid vanished amongst the spiders, and with a great scurrying, a foul, swarming movement, they retreated under the onslaught of spells, Hagrid buried in their midst. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier about revisiting just all, like, lots of the various themes and tropes from the book. And this one, we've, like, Hagrid's kind of final big moment is trying to intervene on behalf of the spiders, saying, don't hurt them, you know, they don't know, like... They're just being spiders uh, out here. Yeah, they're just spiders being spiders. Which, first of all, I think these are malevolent spiders. <laughs> and he gets carried away. It's not actually... Where before, a lot of it's been played for laughs in the past. Uh, Hagrid's kind of over-solicitousness of deadly beasts has been played for laughs. It's, like, not as funny here because... He's, Hagrid like, maybe dead. Might be dead. First of all... This is one of those places where, like, I don't fucking remember what happens. Like, what what do these spiders do to him? Do these spiders rescue him? Is that what's actually happening here? Uh, they make him... I do not fucking remember what happens with these spiders. They make him eight cups of tea, one in each fucking oh, leg or whatever. Uh, I think, yeah. Each of them has a little <laughs> mug. Well, they have 
to walk on something. Six cups of tea, and then they walk on two legs. Uh, I I do not. I'm not reading ahead. I know Hagrid comes. I'm not going to remind myself. I know Hagrid comes back. Not dead because he's got one more iconic scene. Uh, left in him. He does. Um. Oh, such a. I'm gonna weep. Okay. Anyway, this moment just reminded me of all the times Hagrid's um care for unlovable creatures has been like kind of played as a as something like serious and why we love Hagrid, but also as a joke. And I was thinking that a lot of the deep sources of morality in these books are kind of played for laughs. Like Hagrid, like Hagrid, I think, is one of the most moral characters in the book because he looks at a creature, he looks at a spider, he looks at a blasted scroot, and he's like, I see its essential spiderness, its essential, like, blast-ended scrutinous, and I don't judge that. I just, like, Hagrid doesn't judge that. Hagrid just accepts that. Like, Hagrid, I think, is one of the most loving characters, and he has, like, that real moral core that really anchors these books, but sometimes it's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's treated as this, like, joke, but here or Hagrid... Or like, eccentricity. Right, but here Hagrid is very willing... Yeah, to die not, for these spiders. And not for the la- not for the first time in these books to like lay down his life because like he's like these are spiders being spiders. And I don't know if I have anything more to say about that, but we see that a few times where like Hermione like gets into house self liberation, but it's kind of like funny because she kind of takes it too far. Or you know, Luna, who we also see in this chapter, uh who believes fundamentally in like, I mean, who's sort of a mystic, but also believes in the power of, like, friendship and, and like, like, looking out for each other and, like, essential optimism in the face of everything. And also questioning questioning everything and kind of, like, looking beyond, yeah. like, the veil. She's kind of treated... It's yeah, as tr- an eccentric. It's treated... Yeah, she's treated as, like... And I can't tell if we're meant to understand that these, that these characters, that Luna and Hagrid, two of the most moral characters are, like, it just kind of being outside of, like, what's conventionally accepted as, like, the price for being moral, or if, like, the author is kind of suspicious of people that are, like, too, too, like, dogmatic or too, like, committed to... I don't see them as dogmatic, though. Right. Maybe not, maybe dogmatic's not the right word, but too, like, and I don't see them as self-righteous either, but you would feel like they were self-right, like, when you meet someone who, like, fully believes in something, sometimes... It feels you like feel, self-righteousness. You feel judged by them, by, like, the fact of their actions, even though I don't think Hagrid is a judgmental person, and I don't think Luna is, like, a very... Her character is not a very judgmental character. I don't know. It was just something I was, like, reflecting on. Yeah, I mean, I think J.K. Rowling does, sort of, in her authorial voice in these books, and then in the broader universe in which we kind of know her, like, thoughts, like, ugh, she is really suspicious of like true believers or people who are self-righteous about the things that they believe are good and right or people who frankly live radically differently yeah i mean she yes she is she's very skeptical of people who live out their beliefs in ways that are far outside norms period yes and but i do think she is like allergic to self-righteousness I don't think either of these characters is self-righteous, but I think you're right. They are the, she is sort of, they are stand-ins for the kind of person where you feel shitty for going about your 
normal and sort of like decadent and depraved life like with them anywhere nearby but i think there's an implied judgment of hagrid within all the texts i completely agree like, with that she's like yes this makes him good we love hagrid because he loves others all creatures like unconditionally he's like the fucking like saint francis of hogwarts basically like that's it makes him like the moral like core of these books but she's also kind of like yeah but he's also like a fucking big doofus like he's an oaf and like look this like i don't know it's like dark but also kind of funny that he's gonna go get like carried away by by spiders and i yeah i just i don't know she touches she like she creates characters like hagrid you can see like the essential goodness in hagrid like what makes us all like love hagrid and yet the authorial voice like shies away from like that creation. Yeah, she a makes way, fun of it a little. Way, you know, which I think is fair. I don't because the other thing, I, the place I want to give her some credit is she then. I think it's really clear in the scene where Hagrid gets carried off by the spiders. It's this moment where Harry completely unthinkingly would do anything for Hagrid, and you can see that it's Harry's love for Hagrid. I think is is of a different quality than his love for basically any of the other adults in his life other than maybe Sirius. I mean, I think Harry pretty clearly sees Hagrid as kind of his last remaining, like, parent. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, Hagrid being Harry's first key to the magical world. But no, Harry loves Hagrid more than he loves basically anyone else but Ginny, Ron, and Hermione. Hagrid is the most loving character, I think, in these books. He is, like, a center of love in these books. Because totally. he meets, unlike Dumbledore, who takes Harry, deposits him at the Dursleys with this, like, grand plan in mind. When Hagrid, like, in Sorcerer's Stone, when he picks Harry up, and he's, like, he's, like, made the cake. Like, I don't know. He doesn't, like, he's not, like, Are you thinking. Crying? A little bit. Alex is crying about Hagrid. He's not, like, thinking of Harry in terms of these, like great designs these like in terms of this grand destiny he's like oh i think you'll be like a thumping good wizard like he's not but like that's not a prediction that's not no it's like just it's not in... something he's laid out as his like destiny he loves this little boy yeah well and the you same even way see... he loves i just ha- yeah hagrid has I like mean, great love you have to remember also that hagrid hagrid goes and gets harry from the rubble hagrid takes sirius's motorbike and fucking saves baby Harry Potter from his parents like destroyed home and you know if Hagrid was allowed to he would have just kept the kid and honestly Dumbledore is evil for not letting Hagrid just (laughs) seriously just let Hagrid fucking raise Harry like Hagrid is like out of the world too okay but Harry kind of would have been like a feral child but so loved are you kidding how much better would Harry's life have been if Hagrid was his like his parent and you know Hagrid would have done it if he did, wasn't under express orders from yeah, Dumbledore yeah. to do this fucked up other thing. Well, I, I think, yeah, I just think, I think I've come around on Hagrid. Like, like not come around. Like, I've always liked the character. I still don't think he should be allowed to be a teacher. But I think, I kind of dunked him in the past. It's like, it's like ridiculous that he wants this dragon. But he, I just, I do think, I don't know, he sees, he sees like the, his character as he's written, sees the inner light 
in things and loves it in a way that I think even the author that created him like does Doesn't. not because ugliness not. because ugliness in the, all of these books is cat even the spiders here the spiders are like bad I guess like well they're bad because they might kill you but like also they're bad because they're like scary and ugly and the giants are like bad because no, they're like she, scary and ugliness ugly. stands in for like the sort of your moral character absolutely in all of J.K. Rowling's and Hagrid books. is this fool because he looks it's something with like the fire of like existence in it and loves it for itself yeah well that's a nice place to leave us uh speaking of the sort of fire of existence and everything who's your unsung hero my unsung hero okay i got two i'm gonna finally i'm gonna give it up to snape snape we've got him for one last chapter here he's an unsung hero like when Harry says, like, <coughs> one of them was the bravest man I ever knew. Like, Snape's fucking brave in this chapter. Like, he, is, he yeah. knows fully that he's about to get uh, Snake bit. And he doesn't give away Harry. He doesn't give away the game. He keeps his composure. He's brave as hell. It's the end of, like, an amazing long con. And maybe he's not unsung. Like, he's just a straight-up hero uh, here, regardless of, like, everything we're going to unpack soon. My other is Lavender Brown, who dies horribly, but she was fighting the good fight. And... I don't know. She's been, like, maligned. She's been made fun of. Ron dumps her. People make fun of her because her, like, baby rabbit dies, which is actually sad. And then she gets, like, killed by a werewolf. Yeah, uh, she gets she she gets a All bad. in the name of fighting for the right for Harry Potter for, like, I don't know, Hogwarts in country or whatever. So R.I.P. She was bad, bad. Lavender Brown. Badass witch in the whole damn town my unsung hero is peeves who is sadly lacking in the movies and the scene with peeves and the veggies it's just like what peeves was put on this earth or on this whatever like sort of mid plane between earth and the heavens that he exists upon it's like why peeves is here like essentially benign mischief that fucks Death Eaters shit up, but is, like, still mostly for comic relief. Here's what I think. I was wondering. I was like, why is Peeves taking the side of Harry Potter and company? Because, you know, he's a pretty, like... He loves Hogwarts. He also, Peeves, also Peeves hates authority. Yeah. And Voldemort's an authoritarian. He's like, fuck this. No, I think Peeves is fighting for Hogwarts. I think, I think Peeves loves his home truly Mm. i think peeves is just of and for and believes in the like hallowed halls of hogwarts i i just think he yeah he's like he's like the fucking you know they've breached his castle i see peeves as more of an anarchist no but he's so essentially of hogwarts Mm. i mean hogwarts would still hogwarts still is around no it's not they're literally destroying it are you kidding me no but in cursed child no but like what peeves is watching happen is people like tear down the walls that he has sort of like ruled in his own poltergeist way for so no i think he i think he's a hogwarts we're gonna have to disagree agree to disagree on this okay i think it's i think it's both because like also 
Peeves isn't bad. He's just zany. He's anti-authority. I think that's true. But no, I, whatever. I think he's a Hogwarts, like, I mean, he's like of Hogwarts. He's a Hogwarts Homer. Yeah, just completely. So are the ghosts. <laughs> Even the fucking Bloody Baron. Like, they're all the ghosts are fighting for Hogwarts, too, because they're just like, you know, it's a place their souls are safe. That's nice. That is nice. Um, Who's the sponsor this week? Did we write one down? No, you're just supposed to come up oh with them. Oh, my God. This week's episode is brought to you by Snargalov Pods. Um, what are those? I there's probably a Wizarding World .gov entry on this. Uh, Lord Voldemort. Even the vegetables don't like him. <laughs> oh, the Muppets. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. It is very good. He is very good. Um, listen to it if you need something to do, which uh, heaven knows we all do. You, you know, rate and review, it's very nice when y'all do that. Mostly subscribe because the um, infrequency and sort of just like disjointed release schedule means that the only way you'll know if there's a new episode is if you're subscribed wherever you get podcasts. Or if you hear a small voice on the wind that tells you that the Quibbler's been released. Yeah, that's the other option. Um, you can also follow us on social media, at Quibbler Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram, also Facebook. I don't know if Alex checks the Facebook. But we are on Twitter and Instagram at very least, and you can DM us or, you know, see what we've said in the past when we were, like, doing anything. Sorry, we're still making this thing. Speaking of which, the next time an episode comes out, it will be about the chapter called The Prince's Tale. And uh, we are doing our best and hope you enjoyed this. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, amigos. The snake's cage was rolling through the air. And before Snape could do anything more than yell, it had encased him, head and shoulders, and Voldemort spoke in parcel tongue. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Harry saw Snape's face losing the little color it had left. It whitened as his black eyes widened, as the snake's fangs pierced his neck, as he failed to push the enchanted cage off himself, as his knees gave way and he fell to the floor. Sorry to this man, said Voldemort coldly.